Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, please turn back to Matthew 16 and verses 21 to 28 as we look at this passage this morning. Now, last week we thought about uh, Peter's declaration uh, of Jesus being the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, and we finished last week by thinking about the messianic secret. Because after Peter has declared Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus then says to Peter and the disciples, look, keep that to yourselves. Don't, don't tell anyone. And we might think to ourselves, that, that's really strange. Why would Jesus say that? You know, the disciples have just worked out, finally, that Jesus is this Messiah, the promised Messiah. He is the very Son of God. So why are they to keep it quiet? After all, if, if you have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the, is the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the, the person that the people of Israel have been waiting for for all these years, then surely you would be shouting it from the rooftops. But today's passage shows us quite clearly why Jesus didn't want the disciples to share yet that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. Because whilst the disciples are aware of who Jesus is, they certainly haven't quite grasped yet what Jesus has come to do. That's the key thing, isn't it? What has Jesus come to do? He's been going around, he's been, he's been teaching, he's been doing all these miracles, but what's the end game? What is the end goal here? Now, after the high point of last week's passage, so to speak, where Jesus' identity is, is revealed for the first time, Jesus then says for the first time to the disciples what is going to happen to him. And there's a clear change in Jesus' message as highlighted when Matthew says in verse 21, the first verse that we looked at today, from that time on. From that time on. So there's a change here. Now that the disciples know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus tells them something new. Now what's that new message? Well, it's quite a shocking message when you think about it. Because Jesus says that he must go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer at the hands of the religious authorities, that he must be killed, and then on the third day be raised to life. Now, before we are too harsh again on the disciples here, who clearly don't understand all this, and we'll understand this as we go through this passage this morning, it's important for us to put ourselves in their shoes. And to ask the question, would we have understood? We've been following Jesus for, for quite a while. We'd seen the, the miracles. We, we had high hopes as to who he might have been. We'd heard his teaching as someone who taught with authority. Would we have understood? You see, the expectation in Israel at this time was of a Messiah, a military Messiah. Someone who would restore Israel, who would reign on David's throne, and who would overthrow the Romans. And if you've been brought up that way, that that's your expectation. And that would have been the disciples' expectation too. 
And it's very hard to, to shift your thinking, isn't it? The disciples expected Jesus to be a military messiah. And so when Jesus starts to speak about suffering and dying and then rising again, it completely blows their mind. Completely. They cannot comprehend it. And how, how could they, in a way? They simply think to themselves, you know, how could this happen to the Messiah? How can the Son of God die? That's quite a question, isn't it? It makes no sense to the disciples. And actually for many today, it still makes no sense, does it? You see, most people, if they have any kind of concept of God, they believe that God is powerful, that God is indestructible, that God rules and reigns over all. I think that commonly, out in society, if there's any kind of conception of God, it's that God is like a Marvel hero. He's indestructible. And that's sometimes the, the God that we want. We want a God like that. Now, this is true. You know, God is omnipotent. I believe he's omnipresent. He's all those omni things. But the remarkable Christian message is that God, in his mercy, reached out to us in love by sending his only begotten son, by sending Jesus. Jesus, who is fully God, but also fully man. Jesus, who knows what it is to be weak. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? How can God be weak? But as it says elsewhere in Scripture, God's power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Jesus chooses to suffer and to die out of love for the Father and out of love for us. He chooses to take our place, to pay the price for our sin that we deserved. This is what he chose to do. Now, that's difficult for us to understand, that God would choose for it to be this way. And yet... The amazing, wonderful thing is that he does. Because that is the kind of God we have. Because the God that we have, as is revealed in Scripture, is that God is a God of mercy, and a God of love, and a God of compassion, and a God of grace, as well as a God of justice. So what I want you to see, first of all, is that the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying. They, they can't comprehend it, and they rail against it. They don't want Jesus to suffer and die. They probably have no idea what he's on about in terms of rising again on the third day. What are you on about, Jesus? And so Peter, as the spokesman of the twelve, takes Jesus aside, as bold as brass when you think about it, and from the high point of Peter being the rock, the rock who last week, as we saw, declared Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. What does Peter become? Peter becomes the stumbling block. Why is that? Because Peter takes Jesus aside and says to Jesus, Never, Lord, 
This shall never happen to you. Never. It's not going to happen to you. Now let's not doubt here that that Peter was coming from a good place. Let's not. He loved Jesus. Let's be quite clear about that. This is coming from a good place. He obviously wanted the best for Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to suffer and die. And so when Jesus says, look, I'm going to suffer and die, Peter's like, no, you're not. We don't want that for you. He felt that wasn't what should happen to the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, as Peter takes Jesus aside, I wonder what Peter thought Jesus' reaction would be. Do you think he would say, you know, that he thought that Jesus would say to him, Look, Peter, thanks so much. Thanks, Peter. You know, you're right. I, I shouldn't suffer and die. That would be that would be wrong, wouldn't it? Of course he doesn't. I think Peter was really surprised at what happened. Because in turn, Jesus rebukes Peter. So you see, Peter's like that, and then Jesus is like that. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, you are a stumbling block to me. And here's the key part. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, incidentally here, Peter, Jesus is not calling Peter Satan. He's saying, get behind me, Satan, i.e., stop tempting me. You see, Peter's rejection of the cross reflects the attitude of Satan, who will do anything to deflect and to destroy. You see, Jesus had come. He had come to go to the cross. This was his ultimate purpose. You see, sometimes I wonder if we underestimate what it took for Jesus to go to the cross. If we underestimate what it took for Jesus to go through with what it would be when he went to the cross. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Sometimes we only look at this in Holy Week. How Jesus prayed. He asked the disciples to come with him. They were at a distance and he prayed. And he called out to his Father. And he was in agony in his spirit. And his sweat was like drops of blood. Why was that? Because he knew what he was going to face at the cross. And see, who would have chosen to go through what he went through? And Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed that the cup would be taken away. Because he saw what it would mean. And yet he said, not my will, but yours. And he submitted to the Father's will. You see, it would have been much easier not to suffer, not to die, not to go to the cross. But he willingly went. Why? Because Jesus had in mind, not the things of men, but the things of God. He knew that he had to suffer. And that this was exactly in line with Scripture. Because Jesus is the the suffering servant of Isaiah 42. He knows that this lies before him. But at this point in time, Peter and the other disciples don't get it. They don't understand why Jesus is to suffer and die. They are concerned with, with human concerns. With comfort. Not with suffering. Concerned with human concerns, 
and not with the concerns of God. And in our lives, we can be guilty, can't we, of being concerned with human concerns and not with the concerns of God, can't we? All of us. And I'm speaking as much to myself this morning as I am to you. We can be concerned about the the here and now. Living now like we'll live forever on the earth. We can be guilty of that, can't we? Rather than living for God. And hoping for, for the eternity that's found in Him. And this comes out really strongly in what Jesus says next to the disciples in verses 24 to 28. Because Jesus just said, you know, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to rise again to new life. And Jesus says in verse 24 to 28, and this is quite staggering when you think about it, that the disciples must follow in his footsteps. So not only is he revealed to the disciples what's going to happen to him, but he's saying, you must also go that way too. i.e. Jesus himself was going to suffer and die. But the disciples also had to deny themselves, to take up their cross and to follow him. And in verse 25, we again see the upside down economy of God. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for Christ's sake will find it. And then Jesus goes deeper in verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Now, that's quite stunning, isn't it? Quite stunning when you think about it. Because we live, don't we, in a consumerist society. We live in a time where people want to accumulate more stuff. And we are very blessed in this country with what we have and and what we have access to. I was speaking to someone just this week who's from another country. He's currently 42, just a wee bit older than me. He never slept in a bed until 2004. That's quite staggering, isn't it? Things we just take for granted. We live in this consumerist society, and yet we're not satisfied with what we have, are we? Quite often. That's why millions of people still play the national lottery each week. Not satisfied with what they... If only I had a bit more, I could do this and that and the next thing. But where does it end? There's a bumper sticker in America that says, whoever dies with the most stuff wins. How shallow is that? Because Jesus says it, it doesn't matter if you gain the whole world. If you had everything in the entire world. Because all the material possessions in the world can't compensate for spending an eternity away from God. That's how serious this is. All the material possessions in the world cannot compensate for spending an eternity in hell. That's what Jesus is saying. And no one can give anything to God to redeem their soul. It's not as if you can say to God at the end of time, there's my Ferrari, there's my mansion, you know, let me into heaven. God, it doesn't work that way. Sorry. Eternal life can only be a gift from God. Because there will be a day when Jesus will return in glory. And he will reward people. 
as to whether they've trusted in him or whether they've simply looked out for themselves. That's the choice. What do you have in your mind? Concerns of man or the concerns of God? Now the final verse, verse 28, is a confusing one. Because Jesus says there are people who will not taste death before they will see Jesus coming in his kingdom. Now, it might be here that Jesus is referring to the transfiguration that we'll look at, God willing, uh, next Sunday. It may be that Jesus is referring to the disciples will, will witness the resurrection, for example. There's lots of ink that's been spilt over uh, which of these it is. It's hard to know. But it doesn't take away from the message this morning, does it? The message that Jesus will suffer, that he will die, and that he will rise again on the third day. Fundamental to the Christian faith. And the message that we too ought to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Suffering, dying, but also having the promise of eternal life with Jesus forever. Now there are two things I want to reflect on just as we close today. The first thing is this. Are you mistaken as to what God is truly like? Are you mistaken as to what God is truly like? You see, the disciples have got it wrong about Jesus. They think that the suffering is wrong for Jesus. They think that he shouldn't die. They have the wrong idea as to what the Messiah should be. And that's why at this moment Jesus wants them to be quiet about who he is. You see, Jesus is not a military king. He's far beyond that. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Do we also have it wrong about Jesus? You see, in your heart of hearts, would would you rather that Jesus didn't suffer, that he didn't die. When you look at the cross, you just think, oh, that's embarrassing. You know, how could God die on the cross? Would you not prefer your your God to be a a bit more God-like than that? I want to say to you this morning, behold your God. Behold your God. Because when you look at Jesus, this is what God is truly like. This is the love that he came to show you. To lay down his life for you, that you might live. If Jesus had not come, and he had not died, then you would not live. You would not know forgiveness, and you would not know an eternal life with God forever and ever. But he has come. He has suffered and died. And on the third day, he rose again to new life. And so this morning, as you look at this passage, as you think about the Easter story effectively, let us see with spiritual eyes the things of God. Let's not be concerned with the concerns of man, but the things of God. And that leads us on to our second thing this morning. You see, if we truly understand who Jesus is, then we are to follow in his footsteps. 
And we're no longer to be concerned about merely human concerns. Because it is by following Jesus that we will live. That we will truly live. That we will know life eternal and life in all its fullness. There are many of you here this morning who are believers in Christ. I think it would be interesting to ask you and say, well, when you believed in Christ, was was your life worse before or after you believed in Christ? It's a good question to ask. I believe it's far better when you believe in Christ. Far better. It is by following Jesus that we live. And yet so often we we live our lives taken up, don't we, with human concerns, acting as if this is the only life and there is no life to come. How often do we think about eternity? I think we should think about eternity much more than we do. In the Middle Ages, the monks used to sleep in coffins. You might think, oh, that's terribly morbid. And yes, to some extent it is. But they did so to remind themselves that their time here on on earth was was transient. That they were looking forward to a day when they would be with God forever and ever. You see, do you truly believe what Jesus says here? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The answer is none. None at all. You see, as Christians, we must be heavenly minded. We must be focused upon the Lord. And we can trust that we will know life, life now, an eternal life with Jesus forever. And yes, we will, we will suffer for being a Christian. Yes, we will die. But as Revelation says, the second death will have no hold upon us because of what Jesus has done and because of our faith in Jesus. You see, can a new car truly satisfy? A new house? A pay rise at work? Accumulating more stuff? Can it really satisfy? Does it truly bring eternal life? Of course it doesn't. These are worldly things. But a life focused upon the Lord. That is a wonderful thing. With a bright future. As you come to worship today, maybe you're worried and concerned about the future. What does the future hold for me? You know, is my pension big enough to support me? I'll tell you something far greater than a pension. It is an eternity with God. And when you lift up your eyes and trust in Him, trust in Jesus, this Messiah, this Son of God who died for you on the cross, there is a bright future because Jesus is risen the first fruits, we too have the hope of eternal life with God forever. This morning, see Jesus for who he is. He is the suffering servant. He is the one who out of love is willing to go to the cross. But in turn, may we follow in his footsteps. And yes, we might suffer. 
Yes, we'll all eventually die. But the joy is that we have the hope of an eternal life with God forever. So this morning, what will you choose? The ways of man? Or the things of God? I know which I would rather choose this morning. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, in many ways this is such a a solemn passage and we totally understand why Peter and the other disciples didn't really understand what Jesus was going on about. But Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we look at this passage that you would give us eyes to see and to understand what Jesus was all about and what Jesus had come to do. Because Jesus had not come for an easy life. He had not come as a military messiah. He had come in weakness to lay down his life willingly at the cross at Calvary, paying the price for our sin that we might know forgiveness, that we might know hope. And we thank you that on the third day, he rose again from death, conquering death, bringing life. Lord God, as we see Jesus for who he truly is, we pray that we too would be people of the cross, who would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And that we would have on our mind each and every day, not the things of man, but the things of God. That we would want to honour you, to walk in your ways all the days of our life. Because we know that 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 is better by far. That we could gain the whole world and it would be as nothing compared to having eternal life found in Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that when we have Jesus in our life, we have found the treasure beyond cost. We have found the pearl beyond price. Heavenly Father, may we be found trusting in him this day. So, Heavenly Father, we ask you would speak to us through your word today and that we would know the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives now. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.